One, two, three. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help you be a smarter, better Amazon seller. There's fewer podcast episodes that I've anticipated more than this one. I know that you're going to be listening to this till the end. I just know it. It is a podcast that started from a LinkedIn post from a former guest of the pod. And I will say he stands out already as the one of the most prolific brand store creators out there. He runs an agency that creates amazing content around like a, a brand store, something on Amazon that every brand can do. He's ran an agency for a while. Jason, I can keep giving you more of an intro, but I just wanted to hit those few things. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me back. I'm excited to be here and talk about this controversial topic. Well, first, how long have you had an agency on Amazon? So we've been doing this for a little over five years now. And what led you to do start the business? So we actually were sellers before we ran an agency. We One of our products was a keto variety snack box or kidding US made keto snacks. Got the number one snack box on Amazon. We were buying more uh, products than Whole Foods was from some of our brands. And they're like, help us do what you're doing as part of the kit. Was any of the kit your branded product? We tried at one point to make a yep. keto bar and it tastes, yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's exactly the best background for this conversation. Jason made a post about two weeks ago that like set a lot of people up in arms about, he criticized pattern. And there's a lot of ways to criticize one of the largest sellers on Amazon. And a lot of people already have opinions. And so we're going to take this time, talk about that post, talk about some of their weaknesses and maybe some of their strengths. I don't really care which direction it goes. I have met employees from Pattern. I mean, they're in my backyard. So like I actually run into these people. And so doesn't mean that everything they've done is perfect. So we are not going to pull any punches. We want to get to what's fun. But Jason, tell me, why did you create that post? Yeah, so I created that post because someone like a day or two before I posted had basically held up Pattern's model as the kind of epitome of what you should be doing on Amazon as though what Pattern is doing is attainable for the masses. And to me, I thought that was absurd because, you know, Pattern is so much capital affords them a lot of the advantages that they do in fact have. So I was very critical of that. And so people from Pattern jumped in and defended the business model, but I thought their defenses were a little weak and they didn't actually highlight what does make them unique. It gave me the idea to evaluate Pattern and the wholesale resale model in general. Yeah. We're going to spend some time going over their weaknesses, over their strengths, I can assure you that neither of us take it personal or get fired up. It's just worth talking about because I know a lot of listeners out there have similar business models to pattern or maybe even fewer defensive modes. Like maybe they don't have as much capital. So like patterns already entering the conversation with a different thing. And at this point, they do have a brand that is recognized in some circles and they do have a lot of people out there doing sales and marketing. What do you think are like some of the biggest glaring weaknesses to pattern? Yeah, at the end of the day, anybody who is doing running a wholesale model is trading at a lower margin than the brand. So pattern, unlike a lot of resellers, is promising a brand like 
experience in terms of how the marketplace is managed. So how they're going to represent the brand on Amazon, let's say. And in fact, they say, hey, we're better. We have all this tech, we have all these skilled people, but at the end of the day, it still has to make sense on a P&L, right? So if you're buying the product as pattern or a wholesaler at a reduced margin, you're promising to put in all this overhead and resources to scale, well, that still has to make financial sense. You have to, as a business, make money at the end of the day. So how much room is there to actually invest in scaling these brands, even at uh, the scale that Pattern has? If a brand sells direct to Amazon, they're playing with 40 to 50% of margin. If Pattern is selling direct to Amazon, you know, it could be as low as 15% gross right. margin. So you're saying they are trying to grow the brand but like they just have a lower margin and so they can't invest in the brand like the brand itself could. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of what gets said is, oh, well, we have these brand managers who can manage multiple brands like an agency and we have all this tech we've built to automate. So what if, you know, let's just say the average brand on Amazon spends 10% of their revenue on advertising. What if the brand gave Pattern a budget for advertising? You're like, okay, you know, you do a million dollars, we're going to give you $100,000 just for PPC. So it kind of that could almost protect pattern a little bit, gives them like, you know, fuel. It almost feels like slightly different ways of cutting the pie of the margin that the brand may be partnered with pattern or not partnered with like ultimately has access to. Yeah, I, I know for a fact that those type of arrangements happen all the time with pattern, mm -hmm. other resellers. That's not uncommon necessarily. In fact, it may be more common than it is. It may happen more often than not. I think the issue, though, again, is still that's not, you know, leveling the playing field. Even if the brand ships directly to Amazon and Pattern or another reseller doesn't have to incur that cost. Not all resellers get the brand to ship direct to Amazon. So there are some people listening that that shipping expense, like because it's going from the brand to the seller to Amazon, is another leg. Granted, like if you have a facility close to you and you're shipping by the truckload and you actually have that truck like connected, like you could probably get really, really good shipping economics, especially if like the prep isn't super burdensome. Like there's sometimes where like that's not that big of a deal, but still a lot of people are taking extra shipping, just like a middleman of shipping, you know? So yeah, that's definitely what we need. So, or even returns. Returns don't go direct back to the brand. The returns go back to pattern. And so like the reverse logistics might come to pattern, back to the brand or whatever. There's another layer. I know there's a few other weaknesses that we're going to plan on hitting on. Not all products are the same in terms of velocity, margin. And I think that's undervalued in, in this debate. A lot of resellers have to focus on margin-rich products and products that make sense for the reseller. And that, that makes sense. They're running businesses, right? You got to make, at the end of the day, you really need to make money. So you can't sustain your business. Whereas the brands have more margin. So while they don't need to necessarily push hard on products that don't sell as well or aren't as profitable on e-com for a variety of reasons, maybe like the packaging's bad or they're bulky, you know, they still want to sell those products and grow the brand holistically, or maybe they can justify those less profitable products is at a break even or even a slight loss to grow the brand as a whole. You know, that model isn't sustainable for a reseller. They really need to be 
profitable across the board. And as a result, they, their interests don't always align with the brands and growing the brands. What you often see is they, they focus on a subset of a brand's catalog. In starting a relationship, they'll be like, oh, we're going to take on your catalog. But like six months in, 12 months in, I've been in those situations. And it can start to really look ugly taking on a full catalog when you're like, this isn't selling. This is costing me fees. So like they're eating the fees that hit their bottom line and they don't want to grow the brand in the same way that maybe the brand does. And our brand manager for Pattern probably doesn't think like an e-commerce director that works for the brand. They probably think about their positioning, their offering slightly different. And so they're going to feel differently about the back catalog. That's interesting. I know I thought of a few other weaknesses, but they'll come back to me. There's an overarching feeling that taking on inventory creates a lot of risk. And you're taking on the risk of like a brand shifting on you. And you may get dumped with a lot of product and you got that risk. Then there's like a, a switch. It can happen. And I've lived this. I was a very large reseller. We have shrunk, and one of the main reasons that we shrunk was our biggest brand partnership just went south on us, and we carried the inventory risk. And after experiencing that, it was our fault. I'll be fully transparent that like we made a mistake in judging what the relationship was, and we didn't have any protections against that. And we like we bought deeper than we should have, but they're carrying the inventory risk. There's plenty of risk. Because a brand could just change their idea at any moment. If a brand stops working with an agency, the agency is like, okay, we'll like wrap things up, you know, on a bow and move on. But Pattern can't do that. Yeah. And look, I, Pattern is more sophisticated. So it's my understanding they have more protections in place. So they don't get saddled with a bunch of inventories, but they're the exception to the rule, right? Most of the resellers out there don't have the extensive contracts to protect them in an event brand wants to go in a different direction. And yeah, and to compound that risk, it's like the brand can come in and say, okay, well, we're done and uh, we're going to sell direct now and, you know, undercut the reseller because they have the margin. The reseller then has to make a choice to sell this at a loss, try to get them to buy it back from us at a loss. You know, what do we do here? And yes, there are risks for the brand there as well, but it's just messy is, is really what, what you were saying. So there are these kind of added risks too when, when the relationship ends or wraps up that can really, you know, and, and for a reseller, cash flow is vital to keep buying inventory. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to get saddled with a bunch of inventory you can't sell. I've heard of, uh, I've been in the space for a while, so there's no question that like at some point, you know, maybe a brand wants to leave pattern and you know, try someone out or try selling directly. I have, but on a few occasions, I've also heard like a brand wants to like leave. They evaluate all the options and then they actually stick with pattern. So there's something about the switching costs for a brand that, that works in their favor. So that's a strength to pattern, at least the positions that they put themselves. Like you said, they've done a good job of like entrenching themselves with a brand and aligning, hopefully, you know, aligning with their interests that has kept them around. The, the same can happen with an agency. And I think when you made that post, you were positioning against like the agency model. Is that right? Yes, to a degree. Yeah. 
I feel like pattern at their best, they can actually look and act a little bit like an agency, plus they take on inventory. And for that service, they get a little bit extra margin. You don't see any agencies asking for 15% of sales. And by taking that on, giving cash up front to brands, you know, the moment that pattern buys the inventory, like the brand's like, oh, I don't have to touch anything. I've oh, yeah, it's convenient. We just made our money. And yeah, and like for a brand, maybe it's just like a, a short-term fix of not taking e-commerce seriously. I think you're probably with me in that if you had a good friend that was had a growing brand on Amazon, you would tell them, sell direct. Like if I've got someone that's got like a brand and it looks like they're going to do a few million dollars and they're like, how do I tackle this Amazon stuff? Like I, uh, maybe I grew from other channels. And we would be like, well, you should just sell direct. That's what I would tell my, like, my, my best friend. Just like, for your best interest, this is your long term. If you don't even want to touch it, you know, hire an agency, but like sell yourself. What I've come to learn is that a lot of brands, they are allergic to selling direct. <laughs> They're so entrenched with like not dealing with the channel specifics or dealing with the end consumer or dealing with like, owning inventory that is just like less in their control that they want that retail relationship. They've been doing this for 30, 50, a hundred years and they're just going to be the manufacturer and they're going to just do the global marketing and they're not going to like touch the end consumer. So, so some brands just like have no interest in selling direct. And this might be a slight strength to the business model is that one P is shrinking their selection sometimes on brands. They're gonna take, hey, these 25% of these SKUs, like we can't realize a profit, so we're gonna stop selling these ones. So like they have a 1P relationship and they're like, well, we have this other part of our catalog, what do we do? Some may wanna sell direct, but someone's just like, I wanna keep this, like let a retailer buy it and sell it on Amazon. Yeah, and I, so that's definitely one of the advantages. I know companies that do that. For a variety of reasons, they don't want a 3P account or they're blocked from setting up 3P offerings or new offerings on their own brand. To many brands have had that issue or international. Doesn't that feel archaic that Amazon doesn't let some brands sell direct? Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's like a continuation of the, the traditional retail model, but where it's like, hey, we this is ours, we own this. And I think that speaks to the really separation of the retail team versus the marketplace team. Um, Throw that into the FTC case. Yeah, but it's their marketplace. So arguably they, they should be able to do that, I, I right, guess. But, but if they make an argument that like, I, sorry, I don't want to derail too much, but if, if they can make an argument that like Amazon is a monopoly or they, they're dominating e-commerce sales and they are controlling brands in a way that is like, is actually ultimately harming the consumer, the FTC can lean into that one. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, does it harm the consumer? I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends. Does, is the, you know, what's the end result going to be, right? Like, what was the brand going to sell it at directly versus... It also harms the consumer. Amazon's bad seller support or like catalog control. Yeah, well, that, that's a tougher one, but yes. Uh, but, yeah. but it harms the consumer. Sorry, I actually spoke yesterday with a reporter that wanted to talk about the case. And I'm like, uh, this isn't like the strongest case out there because it's not very holistic. I think there's other challenges that they could have presented that to me are more credible. 
But this like one P dynamic of the change is actually helping pattern probably quite a bit that Amazon is like struggling to like make one P what it was like 10 years ago where they like, you know, they were very strong with it and, you know, investing in brands. And now they're like, well, we can only do one P when it's profitable. Yeah. And I mean, I think what pattern is going for it there is that a lot of brands are used to this model that they have, especially in retail where they're getting POs for the inventory, don't have to sell on consignment. I mean, we've even had brands we've worked with where you know, we always do a financial analysis. We have brands that are on vendor, we have brands that are on seller, we have brands that do hybrid, and we always help, but when they're interested, we help them do a profitability analysis. And we've done it before where it makes sense to sell one of their brands or most of their most of their products on Seller Central, but it's like the organization couldn't get behind the accounting of the consignment model because they're too big. It would be the only consignment model that they'd be selling under. It's like, we, we don't want to deal with this. Like the, the cost and the aggravation to update and track and do all the accounting, it's not worth it. So like even, even those extraneous considerations or desires, I guess, can influence the selling model. And I think that's where a couple, a vast minority of people misinterpreted my post. I wasn't saying the pattern doesn't have any utility and that the wholesale model doesn't have utility. I mean, international expansion is another one that I would say pattern and maybe Spreetail and a few other ones provide with their infrastructure. But An agency could do that too. Yeah, well, but I'd just be more of the fulfillment cost, right, of being able to distribute it there. And that can be a great way to break into foreign markets and minimize your risk as a brand. But by and large, you know, the resellers that are just buying product and standing, you know, sending it into Amazon have to be worried. You know, Amazon with it is really focusing on end fulfillment that makes it much easier, no matter whether, really whether brands on vendor or seller central to sell online and even sell on other online channels. I mean, they just re-engaged with Shopify because they previously had a direct integration for Shopify fulfillment. And now with the Buy With Prime and Shopify coming back together, I think we'll see more and more fulfillment integration. So I think that, you know, wholesalers that aren't what you know, some of them call themselves accelerators, where they're doing more than just buying inventory. They're doing content, strategy, advertising, or some combination. You need to be concerned that you know their their model could become obsolete if obsolete if they can't find a way to add value beyond just paying for the inventory up front. Right. Oh, totally agree. And I think that's almost. I actually think the reseller community kind of knows it. It's almost a cliche that like you got to add value and like that means different things to different people. And you're seeing some of the more sophisticated ones actually start like agency like services inside. And I've always been like, have an angle, find one thing that you can do to get a brand's attention and trust. And actually I think storefronts, it's a great, it's a great lead to like, you know, like, Hey, I just do, we just do this better than what you're currently doing. This is a net positive for your brand. I'm sure you've d done this quite a bit. You could show sales that are happening through the storefront. Yeah. Amazon's really good with that sort of attribution. And I have to imagine that's been a part of your conversations with brands. <laughs> have you actually ever done a redesign and seen a lift? Oh yeah. Almost every single time. Okay. The only variable would be is if the brand 
you know, vastly altered their, reduced their paid traffic to the start. So that's typically the only time we see a reduction. Or if we do it, but in terms of year over year, yes, we always see a lift. Right. Now, I mean, I could probably talk about this all day. I love it. There's one, we call this a weakness or a strength that like you have to recognize with pattern is like they've raised a considerable amount of money. I do know they've used that to acquire a few companies, you know, very niche agencies to kind of like, like you said, add more like services. But still though, raising money puts fire under your butt and they raise hundreds of millions. And as a business, are they worth it? Like if you raise $300 million, that usually puts you at unicorn status. You have a billion dollar valuation. And in today's market, and with what we've seen from the aggregator space to pharma packs, that like, this is not a grow at all costs. This is not that like, it's too low margin. Sure, you have a scale economies. Sure, like, you know, pattern has really awesome stuff, but like to be a unicorn, I need to be completely confident that you are at least netting a hundred million dollars or that you're very close to being able to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's hard for them right now to like, yeah. And and we know that fulfillment services are expensive, right? So a lot of their value add is, Hey, we can buy your big bulky products up front. We'll warehouse them. We'll, we'll ship them FBA. Like I know a couple brands that have used pattern just because they wanted the better shipping rates at scale that pattern gets or international expansion. And they didn't want to, you know, uh, stomach the upfront cost to, you know, use a 3PL abroad. But it's like, okay, well, pattern has to have all that infrastructure. That's not cheap. And, you know, we saw that it took a long time for Amazon to really scale that. And I'm not even sure how much money Amazon makes from its fulfillment arm, although probably a little different because they're continually innovating and reinvesting in it. So it's not a fair apples to apples comparison. Regardless, we know that buying a bunch of warehousing space, staffing it, just paying for shipping, like that's a tough business to run, number one. And yeah, I, I would question the net profit. Probably what affected my reselling business more than anything was rising fulfillment costs that we didn't manage closely enough. That had to do with like having a, I think the simple move was the warehouse was out of state. Sure, there were advantages to where we we had the warehouse, but by nature of it being out of state from the owners, we were a little bit checked out. I flew there four times a year, so I wasn't fully checked out. Like, you know, but like still though, if you're not there day to day, like you're checked out. And I wouldn't be surprised if pattern has rising fulfillment costs they don't don't see coming. When average labor for warehouse went from like, you know, in 2015, probably $11 an hour. Today, I bet you it's like $19, $20 an hour. That adds considerably to what you're doing. So at the end of the day, like when I'm evaluating Amazon businesses, you have to show me net profit. I don't think it's smart to just leverage and actually even take venture capital, a business that can't just start really generating profits. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's very, very interesting. I imagine they have to hit a certain scale to be profitable. And I wonder what that is. They're already at scale. You know, they're north of a billion dollars in revenue. I would like that's scale. Um, Yeah, but that might not be enough. 
Well, in, unless they find more, you know, find ways to bring in a few extra percentage points. When you're at that that scale, one percent is ten million dollars. Yeah. So I think that they, you raise hundreds of millions of dollars, please be at least at, at net five percent margin. If you're there, okay, you're on track. If you're not, I'm a little worried, and I would talk to their investors and being like, hey. You know, there's a little capital intensive of a business that's yeah. too low margin. I, I agree with you. And that's what I wondered. I mean, you see them putting on the big events that they have. And um, yeah, I, I, you haven't been, have you? No. I guess um, well, it's in my backyard. It's literally their, their event is three miles from my house. Oh, wow. So um, I've been both times and it's big. They, they, they swing big and I think i actually think it could be very worth it for them you know even if it's a if it's a loss leader getting people face to face at the end of the day is like the best way to do business i agree um, and you know if, if you can help a brand you know chummy up with uh, michael phelps who was there this year you know what you're giving them something that they can't get anywhere else we ended up doing a meet and greet because we were there so but there's a lot to talk about pattern because they are a leader. So now as we wrap up, we didn't have like a huge, you know, this wasn't like a very strict method of just talking about them, but I, I loved the conversation. I thought it was really interesting. What are uh, some of your final thoughts? Yeah, I think it's, as you said, really important to focus on profitability, no matter what your business model is. Obviously pattern is one of the very few that has a lot of capital and a lot of scale. But most people have different considerations. And I, I like what you said about you have to find ways to provide value. It's it's what sets you apart and gives anyone a reason to do business. I mean, I'm always looking for ways for our business as an agency to provide value. And why do we stand out amongst the crowd, right? And mm -hmm. um, so whether it's you're in a resale model, an agency model, uh, at the end of the day, you have to be able to provide value and make a profit. And if you really focus on those two things, you know, everything else should come together or you know, figure out what do I need to move away from or what should I lean into? Yeah, no, love it. When you can provide value in a way that, you know, is affordable to you <laughs> and that's where you make your margin. I actually loved your post. I'm glad you did it. And I'm glad that we got to jump in and talk about it a little bit more. I do think even though we meandered, I think people will really like this episode because it, it should resonate back to them. Jason, thanks for coming on. Founder of Nectar, and he's worth a follow on LinkedIn, if only just to see the storefronts that his team designs. Thank and you. Great job on specializing. I think it opens, I have to imagine it opens doors for you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've gotten some really big brands that we've been working with, and it often is a leader to doing more work. We go really deep on the content work and the strategy and the data analytics behind it, and brands really like that process, and it often leads to more. Shoot, that sounds like you're creating value right there. We're trying. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, Jason. That's it. We'll wrap up the pod there, and everyone have a great week and catch you on the next one. One, two, three. Yeah.